Please open your Bibles to Acts the Apostles, Acts 22. And uh, last week we ended in verse 21. And uh, the word of God tells us, And he said unto him, Depart, for I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles. Paul is speaking to this group of Jewish individuals. And of course, you know the context from last week. They want to kill him because he was a Jew that got saved. And a part of his ministry was to reach to the Gentiles. So one more time from 21. And he said unto me, God said unto me, being Paul, depart, for I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles. Look at verse 22, please. And they gave him audience unto this word. And they lifted up their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for it is not fit that he should live. The moment he said Gentiles, they cut him off. Because the Jews hated the Gentiles, and the Gentiles hated the Jews. And here we are 2,000 years on, and not much has changed. And yet, if you can get the Lord to the Jew, if you can get the Lord to the Gentile, if you can get the Lord to Muslims... There'll be peace overnight. And they gave him audience unto this word. They allowed him liberty unto this word, being Gentiles, being heathen. And then lift up the voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for it's not fit that he should live. That term fellow, fella, it's a term that uh, is used in England, especially if you live in London. They say, uh, hey fella, what's happening? It's uh, kind of slang, I guess. It's not a term that, I guess, is used particularly uh, often, if you don't live outside of London. But uh, if you live in London, it's a term that they use in the street. Away with such a fellow from the earth. Let's kill this man. But it's not fit, it's not right that he should live. And that, uh, that does picture bigotry. Because, as I say, the Jews hated the Gentiles, and the Gentiles hated the Jews. And therefore, when the Lord told the apostles in John chapter 10, how he had other sheep that were not yet of his flock, that must have sent shockwaves throughout the Jewish apostles. You mean Gentiles are going to be saved, really? And that, of course, is what happened in Acts chapter 10 concerning Cornelius and co. Cornelius was a Gentile who converted to Judaism. And uh, Peter was dispatched to preach to Cornelius. And Peter takes some saved Jews along with him. And they arrive at Cornelius' house, knock at his door. He says, come on in, boys. And they go in and Peter preaches to Cornelius and co. And uh, as he's preaching to Cornelius and co, the Holy Ghost falls on them. No laying on of hands, the Holy Ghost falls on them. And they, Cornelius and co, speak in tongues. And uh, Peter's Jewish colleagues were shocked. And uh, the reason why that happened was to show the Jews that God was going to save the Gentiles as well. Only three times in Acts of the Apostles does tongues appear? First of all, Acts chapter 2 concerning the apostles. Acts chapter 10, just giving it to you, concerning Cornelius. And Acts chapter 19 concerning friends, affiliates, associates of Apollos. And from Acts 19 verse 8, it speaks about Paul going to the synagogue after these group of men, around 12, spoke in tongues. Tongues, when it comes to Gentiles, is not found in Scripture. But tongues, when it comes to Jews, is very much a theme found in scripture look at verse 23 please as they cried out they cast off their clothes and threw dust into the air the chief captain commanded him to be brought into the castle and bade that he should be examined by scourging that he might know whereof they cried so against him this chief captain from 24 assumed that paul was a bad man but 23 and as they cried out and cast off their clothes very pious 
ripping off their clothes like the greats in the Old Testament would do to express disgust and distress. And threw dust into the air by Middle Eastern. The chief captain commanded him to be brought into the castle. Go and detain him, find out what's going on. He must be a bad man. Of course, that was his first mistake. And bade that he should be examined by scourging. A very painful method to extract the truth from a particular suspect, that he might know wherefore they cried so against him. It must have been very difficult for the Romans to police Israel during the first century. In fact, the Jews were born in captivity, and on one occasion they would say to the Lord Jesus Christ, we are free, we're not in bondage to anyone. But that, of course, wasn't correct. They were in bondage to Rome. They were in bondage to the Herod dynasty, and they were in bondage to Caiaphas and co. Only when you're born again are you set free. Some people say I'm free, or I'm a free thinker, or I don't want to get caught up in the bondage of religion. They're kidding themselves, because the chances are they're going to be in bondage to something. And here, Paul has been detained by this chief captain, and he wants to know what is going on, what has caused this commotion. 25, and as they bound him with thongs, Paul said unto the centurion that stood by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man that is a Roman and uncondemned? Once again, Paul is enjoying his liberty. He is exercising his rights as a Roman citizen. And sometimes it's worth doing this. Sometimes it's worth explaining to those in authority, if you get detained on the street, that you have rights. And you do. Even in the UK, we have freedom of speech, just about. And uh, sometimes it's good to remind people that we have freedom of speech, or that's being curtailed more and more as we end the church age. And here Paul says, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man that is a Roman? I've got rights, he's telling them, and uncondemned. Don't assume I'm guilty, he's saying, just because this mob of Jewish zealots has almost caused a riot. 26. When the centurion heard that, he went and told the chief captain, saying, Take heed what thou doest. This man is a Roman. This almost pictures, I guess, a Westerner being detained in a third country. And sometimes when you hear about Westerners being detained in third countries or second countries, uh, third world countries or second world countries, sometimes they assert their credentials. They will say, I've got a British passport or a French passport or a Spanish passport or a Canadian passport or an American passport. And sometimes it goes in their favour. Like during the Pol Pot regime, there was an event uh, when that ugly period of time was uh, at its peak. And you had all these Westerners hiding in a French embassy in Cambodia. And they were able to find refuge there because they were foreigners, Westerners. And yet their translator, who was Cambodian, was very much unable to stay at the French embassy. And he was thrown out onto the street, detained by Pol Pot's thugs, spent four years in jail, being reprogrammed, being re-indoctrinated, quote-unquote, and eventually by the good pleasure of the Lord, because the Lord is sovereign, he found his way out. But here, Paul has been detained, and this centurion, a man with a hundred soldiers under his authority, makes it clear to the chief captain, take heed what thou doest, for this man is a Roman. Be careful, boss. This man is a Roman. This man isn't just a peasant. He's a Roman. He's an American. He's an Englishman. He's a Frenchman. He's a Spaniard. He's a German. And that helps. 
Sometimes that helps. Look at 27. Then the chief captain came and said unto him, Tell me, art thou a Roman? He said, Yea. Are you really a Roman? We thought you were just a peasant. We thought you were just a troublemaker. We thought you were riffraff. They called you fella back in 22. Fella, this fella, that fella. You can just feel the contempt, can't you? In fact, didn't the Jews call Jesus a fella? Not a term you use in polite circles. I knew a fella on my manor. It's so slang. And here the King James once again is right up to date with modern English. Tell me, art thou a Roman? He said, yea, I've got rights. I know the constitution. Be careful. And here once again, Paul is going to exercise his rights as a Roman. And he was told back in Acts chapter 9 how he would suffer terribly for the Lord. 28. And the chief captain answered, with a great sum, obtained I this freedom. And Paul said, but I was freeborn. I didn't purchase my citizenship, unlike this chief captain who purchased it with a great sum. And if you've got money, you can purchase pretty much anything. And the word of God told us from 1 Timothy chapter 6, how the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money per se, but the love of the money is the root of all evil. And here this chief captain thinks that perhaps Paul has purchased his Roman citizenship. Paul says, no, I was freeborn. And even that term, technically speaking, isn't correct. He wasn't freeborn. He was under Roman occupation, as were all of the Jews, as was the Lord Jesus Christ for all of their life. But what he's really saying is, I wasn't one of those people that went out and purchased my citizenship. I was freeborn. I got it through my parents, so on and so forth. So don't put me in the same category as yourself. 27. Then straightway they departed from him, we should have examined him. And the chief captain also was afraid, after he knew that he was a Roman, and because he had bound him, he jumped the gun. And here Paul wasn't afraid of death. Paul was fearless. He would tell us in Second Corinthians chapter 5 that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You can't beat that. If you're a Catholic, you go to purgatory. Of course, there's no purgatory, you understand, but if you believe in Catholicism, you go to purgatory. In fact, even Muslims have told me over the years that when they die, it's possible that they don't go straight to Allah, they go to hell for a period of time. And on top of that, according to Islamic uh, theology, or so I've been told, Allah can take somebody out of paradise and put him back into hell. What do you make of that? And yet my Bible tells me that my Saviour has overcome death for me. He tasted death for every man. And you compare these religions, they're not the same. Some people say they're all the same. No, that's a ridiculous statement to make. Brazil and Britain are not the same. Spain and Senegal are not the same. America and Angola are not the same. You won't find two people with the same fingerprints. In fact, even snowflakes are not the same. So don't tell me religions are the same. They're not the same. Most religions of the world teach that if you do this or if you do that, you might make it. Not you will, but you might make it. And yet my Bible tells me, he that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son hath not uh, life, but the wrath of God abideth upon him. I've got everlasting life in the present tense. And yet here, straightway, they departed from him, which should have examined him. They've scarpered. Because they could have been put to death for this. And the chief captain also was afraid. What does the word of God tell you? Uh, the fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso puts their trust in the Lord shall be safe. Sometimes fear is a good thing. Sometimes fear keeps you alert. Sometimes fear keeps you from sinning. But here, this man is fearful for his life after he knew that he was a Roman and because he had bound him. 
I guess Paul could have taken this further. I guess Paul could have made an issue of this. And this is also pictured back in Acts 16 when Paul has been detained. And after the jailer gets saved, along with his whole family, the sergeants find Paul and they ask him to leave because once again he had been illegally detained. And Paul is, you know, Paul is furious at being detained. And he kicks off and he says, no, let him come and tell us uh, to our faces that we have to leave. Which, of course, they did. And then Paul departed. So sometimes it's good to know your rights. Sometimes it's good to use your rights. And I think many times people think that Christians are doormats. That somehow people just walk all over us. No, we are human beings. We are made in the image of God. We have rights sometimes. And yes, you were told in Matthew 5 that if somebody would smite you, that you are to turn the other cheek. But the context of that is being a witness in public and suffering as a witness in public. It's not to do with the state. It's not to do with society in general. It's to do with a Christian standing up for his Lord or her Lord in public and suffering from it. Also, Matthew 5 to 8, to be doctrinally correct, is for the millennium. The Sermon on the Mount is concerning the kingdom of heaven, which is for the millennium. Not the kingdom of God for today, but the kingdom of heaven for the millennium. So we take those verses, Matthew 5 to 8, and we spiritualize them for those of us living today. 30 on the morrow, because he would have known the certainty, wherefore he was accused of the Jews, he loosed him from his bands, and commanded the chief priests or their council to appear, and brought Paul down and set him before them. No doubt the Sanhedrin, a group of Jewish leaders, and out of that group of Jewish leaders, around 70 men from uh, memory, you've got Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, just two men out of 70 that believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, which goes back to my theme which I've been repeating over the last several weeks and months and incidentally this is the 12th month of Acts of the Apostles how time flies only two men only two Jews only two scholars from Jewry believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and therefore if you are saved if you are scratching your head at times trying to work out why so few people believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ just remind yourself that during the time of the Lord Jesus Christ only two men from the world of Jewry, from the world of academia, got saved. And yet saying that, I will say this, that we were told, we're not, from Acts chapter 6, how many priests believed and got saved. And uh, if you are a Catholic and you look at Acts chapter 6, I think in your uh, Jewry Rhymes Bible, you are told that that term is concerning Catholic priests, which is ridiculous. It is not concerning Catholic priests whatsoever. It is concerning Jewish priests that got saved. And uh, they got saved by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, as you got saved by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. So here, verse 30 concludes Acts 22, the only chapter in the entire Bible which commenced with a comma. Acts 21, going into Acts 22, is the only part of Scripture where a comma separates two chapters. And like I said last week, you would have thought that it may have been possible to have extended uh, Acts 21 into Acts 22. In fact, if you look at Acts 21, that's 40 verses, and Acts 22 is 30 verses, a 70 verses. Yeah, you could have easily have had a 70 verse chapter, but that wasn't how it was. And like, like I said last week, all of the Bibles follow the King James Bible. Even before the King James, the uh, Geneva Bible and uh, Tyndale's Bible have the comma separating. Acts 21 going into Acts 22. So as always, much material 
covered in a very brief period of time, but just to wrap up Acts 22 before I run out of time for today's broadcast, what you've got is Paul being detained, put on trial, if you will, and Paul acting as his own defence lawyer. And Paul was a very bright man, but he wasn't necessarily legally trained, and that's why it's problematic if you find yourself in a courtroom and uh, attempting to defend yourself, because the powers that be are legally trained, and they are trained to find fault in you. And yet saying that, when Christ was detained, he defended himself. And here Paul has defended himself. So if you want to defend yourself, or if you find yourself in a courtroom down the line and are wanting to defend yourself, then you are in good company. But Paul is speaking to his own people, the Jews, not the Gentiles. And he starts by laying his credentials from verse 3. A Jew born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in the city at the feet of Gamaliel, a great Jewish scholar. And yet for all of that, it made no difference whatsoever concerning Paul's salvation until God Almighty knocked him off his horse from Acts chapter 9 and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers and was zealous toward God as you all are this day. Yes, Paul, you were a great scholar. You were a great expert in the things of the Lord. And yet you were lost in your sins. Romans 10, 1 to 4, until you got saved. And John 16 told us that many would come in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and put people to death and claim to do so as a great servants of the Lord or that they were doing the Lord's service. And that was found in the Inquisition and also in the Crusades. In fact, my research shows me that from the 4th century AD up until the mid-20th century, over 50 million people put to death by the Roman Catholic Church. And that was done for two reasons. First, it was done to put heretics, quote-unquote, to death, to keep Mother Church pure, quote-unquote. But also, it was done based on their erroneous understanding of a blood atonement, that you couldn't go to heaven without shedding your own blood, which is what the Mormons believe as well, incidentally. All these religions are very similar. They all think that they are doing God a great service, and yet God doesn't need you to do anything for him. He really doesn't. I mean, if you're saved, praise the Lord. If you've got a commission, praise the Lord. If you've got a ministry, praise the Lord. But he doesn't need you to do anything for him. And therefore, if you were to die today and go straight to be the Lord, somebody else would come along and replace you. But Paul is wanting his brothers, fathers, and uh, fellow Hebrew people, family, friends, colleagues, acquaintances, his own people, to know that he was one of their own until something miraculous happened. And he told you in verse 4, he persecuted this way unto the death, being the body of Christ, of course, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. What a terrible thing to have to tell people. And yet when Eichmann was detained, when Goering was detained, when Pol Pot was detained, when Slobodan Milosevic was detained, when Saddam Hussein was detained, those men never once laid their cards on the table. Those men never once said, yes, I'm guilty. I'm a terrible person. Put me to death. Far from it. They were self-righteous and unrepentant. But not here. And Paul goes on the same verse 5, as also the high priest doth bear me witness. Run it by Caiaphas. Run it by Annas. If you're going to condemn me, condemn those men as well. And all the estates of the elders. Sanhedrin, the Jewish elite, 
They all planned back in the Gospels to put Christ to death. John chapter 11. And you say, why would they do that? Because they were fearful of losing their kingdom, their place, their temple. They were more interested in the praise of men than of God. Look at the second part of verse 5. For whom also I receive letters unto the brethren. Arrest warrants, if you will. Sign documents, if you will. And like I said last week, that was a fool. That was the uh, biggest mistake that the Third Reich made. And yet when the Soviet Union fell, it wasn't quite the same. They didn't keep as many uh, documents. I believe that Stalin would whisper orders in people's ears, as would Saddam Hussein, to avoid the mistake that the Third Reich made. And yet Paul is telling you here how he received letters via the estates of the elders unto the brethren and went to Damascus to bring them which were there bound unto Jerusalem for to be punished. You can't imagine it, can you? But here Paul is being honest enough to tell you that he started off wrong and yet he would end right. And uh, like I said last time, there are two souls in scripture. One was a king who started good and ended bad and this man started bad and ended good. And it came to pass, verse 6, that as I made my journey and was come nigh unto, uh, unto Damascus about noon, I love the attention to detail here, not 11, not 1 p.m., but about noon, suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me. And that light knocks him off his horse, and he is physically blind. He's been spiritually blind all of his life. So, so, why persecutest thou me? Uh, Christ will tell us in the Gospels that if somebody persecutes you, they persecute me. If somebody calls one of those little ones that believed me to stumble, it were better for him that a millstone were put round his neck and he was cast into the sea and drowned. So be careful how you treat Christians. If you're not saved and you come across a Christian, if you're an agnostic or an atheist and you meet a true Christian and you treat that Christian with contempt, be careful because you are treating Christ the same way. And here, Paul has been told by the Lord, why persecutest thou me? That's powerful stuff. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Do you realize when you get saved, Christ lives within you? On top of that, God the Father lives within you. On top of that, God the Holy Spirit lives within you. And people say, we can lose our salvation. How can that be possible? The triunity lives within those that are born again. Nine, and they that were with him saw indeed the light and were afraid. But they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. Sure, they saw Paul knocked off his horse. They saw this great light. They heard a rumble, they heard a noise of some kind coming from heaven, like John chapter 12. Did an angel speak to him? Was that thunder I heard? No, it was God Almighty speaking to God the Son. And God the Son tells the people that it was God the Father speaking to God the Son. And here, a similar picture is occurring. Arise and go to Damascus, and it shall be told thee of all things which are appointed for thee to do. Now the work begins, Paul. You've been running around, almost like sheriff of Jerusalem. You've been rounding up Christian men and women, possibly children, and uh, you've been top dog for the last little while, but now, Paul, you're going to be on the other side of the coin. You're going to suffer. You've caused my people to suffer. Now you're going to suffer for me. And 16, a verse which gets cited by those that hold to baptismal regeneration, a terrible heresy, which has probably sent more people to hell than anything else I can ever think of, or whatever think of. And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And people say, there you are, you see. If I get baptized, my sins are forgiven. No, don't be so foolish. You mean to tell me JFK is in heaven because he got baptized, or Franco, or Sinatra, 
I mean, come be sensible now. Arise. What does that mean? It means to do something. Like what? How about repent? How about change your mind? That's what saves you. Repentance. Belief. Arise. Repent. Believe. And be baptized. Total immersion. And wash away thy sins. Calling on the name of the Lord. That's what saves you. Repentance slash faith. Which is calling on the name of the Lord. Which results in you being baptized. Which washes away your sins. Not physically. But spiritually. And that's why people need to be so careful. When they go to Acts of the Apostles. It's like John chapter 6. Eat my flesh. Drink my blood. And that gets taken literally by the Catholics. And you take them to Matthew chapter 5. Pluck your eye out. Cut your hand off. That verse is spiritualized. They're inconsistent these people. The 16 will result in Paul becoming Paul the Apostle. And as a result of that, he will write many epistles. And you know the rest. Millions of people are going to be greatly benefited as a result of his salvation. Further recapping the remaining verses from Acts 22. He goes to the temple. He's praying. He's in a trance. And the Lord speaks to him and tells him to get out of Jerusalem. They won't receive your testimony. And as I began this broadcast, so will I end in verse 21. And he said unto me, depart, for I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles. Wicked heathen, wicked infidels, wicked people like you and I. And they will receive you, Paul, but the Jews won't. And yet, from Acts 21, James, the Lord's half-brother, far from infallible, would tell Paul how thousands of Jews have believed the gospel. And yet millions of Gentiles, far more than the Jews, get saved. And the Gentiles will pretty much dominate the church for the rest of the church age. And yet, as we end the church age, and I very much believe we are ending the church age now, the Jews are going to come back into the fold. And the Jews are going to pretty much repeat what we found back in Acts 1 and 2. The Jews are going to go to the world, like the apostles did. And the Jews in the tribulation, the 144,000, are going to have the sign gifts. And they will do miracles. And they will take up serpents. And they were told also, or we were told back in Mark 16, if they drink any deadly thing, it won't hurt them. And that will be very much applicable during the Great Tribulation. Because during the Great Tribulation, the waters are going to be poisoned. But those that are earmarked from the 12 tribes of Israel, Revelation 7, will drink of that poison water and will not die because God is going to preserve them. But that's another theme for another day. Depart, for I will send you far hence unto the Gentiles. Pack your bags, Paul. You're going to fly. Pack your bags, Paul. You're going to take the word of God much further afield. And that scripture which gets cited, and I will just quickly read it as it comes to my mind, by our charismatic and uh, Pentecostal friends from the Gospel of John. I think it's John 14 is very relevant to the Apostle Paul, is it not? Uh, John fourteen twelve. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Jesus speaking, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, like Paul, like Peter, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Greater works concerning the writing of the New Testament, greater works concerning a much greater land, which will be covered. You're going to go to the ends of the earth, and you were told by Romans chapter 10 that they had gone to the end of the earth with the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But John 14 isn't speaking about tongues and visions and prophecies for people today. No, it's speaking about greater works in the sense of going farther afield. 
much further afield, reaching far more people than the Lord Jesus Christ ever did, and on top of that, writing the New Testament. But I'm out of time, so next week we'll pick it up in Acts chapter 23.